Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us today for two reasons. Number one, it's Friday. We've made it there again. And secondly, we have all good martinis. And if that weren't enough, we're sponsored again today by Upstart. So, Jim, uh, good martinis in the sense that things we knew that were not good are coming to light. So the news itself is bad, but the fact that it's being exposed is definitely good. We've talked about some of these for a very long time. We talked about one of them just yesterday. But let's start in New York, where Andrew Cuomo has had this nursing home death scandal hanging over him really almost a year now, uh, put the order into place in March, quietly rescinded it, then claimed it never happened, then uh, underinflated the numbers, his own far-left attorney general saying the numbers were way worse. Now we find out that the uh, Cuomo administration lied to the state legislature. Uh, this is courtesy of the New York Post. Andrew Cuomo's top aide privately apologized to Democratic lawmakers for withholding the state's nursing home death toll from COVID-19, telling them, quote, we froze out of fear that the true numbers would be used against us by federal prosecutors. The stunning admission of a cover-up was made by Secretary to the Governor Melissa DeRosa during a video conference call with state Democratic leaders in which she said the Cuomo administration had rebuffed a legislative request for the tally in August because, quote, right around the same time, then-President Donald Trump turns this into a giant political football. He starts tweeting that we killed everyone in nursing homes. He starts going after Murphy in New Jersey, after Newsom in California, after Whitmer in Michigan. And so in addition to attacking Cuomo's uh, fellow Democratic governors, DeRosa said Trump would direct the Department of Justice to do an investigation into us. And so we basically froze. So this is coming out now. She's trying to do a little tap dancing, saying, well, we had to hold off on that because we had to deal with the Justice Department. But uh, we were always going to give you the information that you wanted. She's apologizing to these lawmakers, doesn't apologize to the thousands of families who lost people because of this stupid policy. And another good wrinkle here is that even the Democrats who are running the committees aren't buying this excuse. Uh, you've got Assembly Health Committee Chairman Richard Gottfried of Manhattan saying, I don't have enough time today to explain all the reasons why I don't give that any credit at all. And then you've got uh, other lawmakers saying that uh, their opponents use this issue to batter them, and now their next opponent will get to do the same. So, Jim, as you point out in the jolt today, I think we're up to 15,000 potentially deaths related uh, to, to COVID-19 and assisted living and nursing homes. So how much trouble is Cuomo in here? I mean, Republicans are calling for his removal, but uh, given the lopsided balance in Albany, I assume that's still a long shot, but we're finally getting the truth here. Well, Greg, I'll, first of all, we should note that the usual suspects in the media world are treating this as yet another Republicans pounce story, <laughs> because that's the angle that matters here. Um, by the way, I just want to observe to, to Ms. DeRosa, we couldn't tell you because then the Department of Justice would investigate us. That probably sounded more exculpatory in her head. But once you say it out loud, it would say, well, why? <laughs> <laughs> and if you're not hiding, if, you, if you're hiding this because it would lead to a Department of Justice investigation, well, then, gee, maybe there should be a Department of Justice investigation. <clears throat> really, that is not a 
uh, oh, okay, kind of excuse you can give there. I have to give a little bit of credit to New York State Democratic legislators for not accepting that and for not saying, oh, that darn Trump, he made us hide these figures from you. Look, this is how much trouble is Andrew Cuomo in? Probably not enough, but considerably more than he was uh, not that long ago. And, you know, you could argue that, that in a way this is a side effect of Trump leaving office. And it, I think it's very, very clear now that not just the goofing around with Chris Cuomo and the degree to which CNN was willing to give him a pass because his brother was one of their anchors, that a whole bunch of the national media, by the way, the New York media was actually much tougher on Andrew Cuomo than the national media. And it's one of those, I think, very revealing that the people who had to live under Cuomo were much, you know, were much less likely to be suckered in by the spin and the image and all that stuff than, say, folks who are located in D.C. or CNN down in Atlanta or California or any institutions like that. Cuomo lied. He lied throughout this. He actually seems to be kind of coming a little bit unraveled with his infamous who cares where they died and I don't trust the experts anymore and stuff like that. The great irony is that Cuomo embodies a great deal of the qualities that many folks on the left hated about Trump. The bluster, the bullying, the combativeness, the uh, narcissism, the self-aggrandizing, the refusal to take responsibility. Uh, but in this case, now we literally have, we covered this up because we thought the Department of Justice was gonna try to investigate us. And the reason Trump would have started saying, Trump's gonna start saying, you know, we killed people by putting in, in these nursing homes is because these policies killed people in nursing homes. If you take somebody who is contagious, who is recovering from the coronavirus, but still contagious, and you put them into a building with a closed circulatory, air circulatory system full of elderly and immunocompromised people, what do you think is going to happen? Cuomo can say, okay, well, I did this because I felt like it needed, uh, we were worried about overcapacity at hospitals, fine. But you took one problem and you replaced it with another problem. Arguably an even worse problem, because if somebody's in a hospital, they're infected. Well, at least they're in a hospital already, right? You don't have to worry about getting them there. They're, they're surrounded by doctors. They're surrounded by nurses. We can worry about whether those you know, hospitals are, are, the ICUs are filled or the, the, people, the nurses and doctors are exhausted, but at least they're there. Once you put them in the nursing home or the assisted living facility, well, now you're exposing it to a whole bunch of other people who are uh, in reasonably good health as is, or maybe they're not in good health, but to people who are most likely to succumb to this. If you had taken these people out of hospitals and put them in hotel rooms or high, you know, high school uh, classrooms, since you're not using the schools, obviously, if you'd put them anywhere else, at least you're not going to put them in closer proximity to the kinds of people most likely to succumb to the virus. This was a terrible decision, and Cuomo's been dodging it the entire time. I almost wonder if the chest pumping and the writing the book and all that kind of stuff was basically <clears throat> not necessarily a sense of guilt, but a recognition that sooner or later, if somebody looked at this decision hard enough, they would recognize it as the most consequentially bad one of the entire pandemic. So uh, it is good that he is being held accountable. The facade is now down and there's really nowhere for Andrew Cuomo to hide anymore. Let's talk about the media reaction here, because I think a couple of things are happening here. First of all, of course, they instinctively cheer for the Democrat and, uh, and and work against the Republican, as we see with how they cover Cuomo, how they cover DeSantis, and how they cover Trump, of course. Uh, but also, now they're baked into the cake here, almost a year's worth of coverage for the media to now completely flip on Cuomo rather than calling it Republicans pouncing. They'd have to admit that they got it wrong. And I think that's the last thing they want to do. Yeah. I, I, in the end, 
there's a theme through all of our martinis today. Um, <laughs> it's, I talked about these three topics in today's Morning Jolt. We have a, a media, we're not entirely, but very heavily. The institutions kind of, they, it's not just that they're Democrats. We've always had a lot of Democrats who work in the news media. It's not just that they lean to the left. I mean, that's that's all. Oh, that's often been the case since at least the 80s, if not going back further. Um, what it is is that they're partisan. What it is is that they see themselves as part of their job is to make sure that you believe what they believe and you come to the same political conclusions that they want you to come to. And very often that is Democrats good, Republicans bad. That is why you constantly hear that uh, Ron DeSantis in Florida is some sort of you know post-apocalyptic wasteland. When in fact, the uh, I, I ran the numbers there, the, like the number of, uh, of New Yorkers who have passed away it's something like 124. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I don't have my jolt in front of me. Um, and the numbers in Florida are like 10757. versus 10757. Remember, Florida's got a lot more senior citizens than New York does, right? It's 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 God's waiting room, as they used to joke about Central Florida, right? It's all retirement communities. So you know, New York, Florida has a much harder job than New York does, and it's done a much better job. But you won't hear that from the media because they walk into the newsroom believing Andrew Cuomo is the good guy and Ron DeSantis is the bad guy, and all facts that come in have to be you know shoehorned and squeezed and pressed into that filter, whether or not they by the end of that process they're accurate. You end up with this narrative that they will hammer over and over again, and they're they're just too invested in it. I mean, I, I, the New York Times is going to have a very tough time running on its it, on the front page tomorrow. Never mind. Florida's doing a pretty good job, all things considered. <laughs> New York's a disaster. Maybe I, I'd love it if they did, but then you'd kind of say, "Well, wait a second. What have you been telling me for the past year? What have you been? What you know, and you know, if 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 CNN prime time, if I'm trying, you know, if Jake Tapper bursts through the wall like Kool Aid Man and shoves Chris Cuomo out of the anchor chair and says. Folks, Andrew Cuomo did a terrible job. Here's all the data. I'd love to see it. But then people, anybody who'd been bothering to watch CNN since 8 p.m. or at 8 p.m. for the past year would say, well, wait a second. Why were you doing wacky giant uh, uh, nasal swab prop comedy with this guy? Why was Jimmy Fallon asking this guy about Cuomo sexuals? Why did they constantly celebrate this guy? And the media likes, you know, they, they, they might try to do this about face. It's not going to go very well. I'm just going to make one last kind of you know tangential point because, I, you know, a portion of this was this need to have a Democratic hero to contrast not just with DeSantis, but I think with you know Trump as the villain. And I got plenty of gripes about Trump. After Trump won the Republican primary, a lot of folks in the media started telling you that he was racist, that he was xenophobic, that he was an extremist, that he was a demagogue, fascist, aspiring dictator, all this kind of terrible stuff. The problem was, like not that long ago, he not only had this very popular reality show on NBC for like eight or nine years, uh, he had hosted Saturday Night Live in, late in 2015, um, and he was still doing Fallon's show and all these other appearances on talk shows. Now, here's the thing. If you are a racist, xenophobic, demagogic, aspiring fascist dictator, you don't get invited to sit on the couch with Jimmy Fallon. You don't get invited to host Saturday Night Live. So there's this idea of like, hey, you know this guy who we've told you is perfectly swell for like decades and decades? He's really a monster. And unsurprisingly, people didn't believe it, right? My fear now is that there are so many people who are emotionally invested in the idea of Andrew Cuomo COVID hero that they will just kind of reject this information, even though it's a damning indictment of Cuomo as a governor during all this. There's only three types of Republicans the mainstream media likes, Jim. 
the ones that uh, constantly harp against Republicans, those that are irrevocably retired, and those that are dead. So basically, if as long as you're not an actual threat to what the Democrats want to do, uh, you know, you're fine. Yeah, you have to be John McCain, basically. So. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about some other good news here. Um, You know, this last year has shown that you never know what life is going to throw at you. And you never know what the media is really going to tell you in terms of the truth about your governor, especially if you live in New York. And if you use credit cards to pay for unexpected expenses, whether it's over the past year or any time, it can be overwhelming to manage that debt. But you can take control with Upstart so you know exactly what to expect. Upstart is the fast and easy way to get a personal loan to pay off your debt all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, more than half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Upstart finds smarter rates with trusted partners because they assess a lot more than just your credit score. With a five minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans from $1,000 to $50,000. And you can get approved the same day and receive funds as fast as one business day. If debt is taking over your life, it's time to get a fresh start with Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash martini. That's upstart.com slash martini. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Once again, upstart.com slash martini. All right, Jim, let's go to our second good martini. Again, good that all of this ugliness is coming to light. Today's actually February 12th, the 212th birthday of Abraham Lincoln today. The original Lincoln Project was a great thing. A uh, great president uh, led us through one of the most trying times, probably the most trying time in American history. The current Lincoln Project is a dumpster fire of fraud and deceit. And we talked about it a lot yesterday with uh, the expose from the Associated Press and uh, how it appeared that at least some of the officials in the Lincoln Project knew about John Weaver well before that New York Times story of a couple weeks ago. In fact, by about half a year at least. Uh, And also about how the Lincoln Project pocketed well over 50% of the money that it raised. Well, the exposés keep on coming. Miranda Green of New York Magazine uh, talking about how on June 17th, a person working at the Lincoln Project sent an email to co-founder Ron Steslow that reported 10 allegations of Weaver's harassing of men, including at least one employee at the Lincoln Project. Three people independently described the contents of the mail uh, to the New York Intelligencer and said that it warned Weaver could be using his position at the company to make promises of career advancement to prey on young men. Steve Schmidt with another blanket denial. However, uh, there is more. We've got uh, former Lincoln Project-affiliated uh, people, some interns. Uh, they, they can't identify themselves because they signed non-disclosure agreements. You know, the kind of things that Trump might have done with employees at one point that the Lincoln Project would have skewered him for. So they set out a group uh, statement asking to be released from their NDA uh, because I believe that's what Steve Schmidt or Rick Wilson said that they should do is to ask to be released. So they did that publicly. And in an even more bizarre twist last night, uh, Jennifer Horn, who used to be affiliated with the Lincoln Project, was uh, doing some direct messages on Twitter with a reporter who was getting her side of the story. Sounded like Horn was about to bring forth more information until the Lincoln Project decided to somehow swoop in 
uh, take screenshots of those direct messages and then post them on Twitter, at which point even George Conway, another Lincoln Project founder, came on and said, you need to take those down. You're violating federal law. So, Jim, um, this is unraveling in a way that I'm sure some folks uh, see as definite schadenfreude, other folks seeing as uh, it would be completely delicious if it weren't for all the people that were exploited by John Weaver. But this is imploding. Where do we stand now and what comes next? Yeah, I think it was Red Steez on Twitter who said the Lincoln Project is now at that part of the Scorsese movie where over a musical montage, everyone is grabbing the cash and running for the doors (laughs) and getting gunned down by the cops. It's not quite that violent at this point. Um, But first of all, my hat has to go off to Miranda Green of New York Magazine. This is a thorough, detailed, meticulous, and unsparing and scathing report. It doesn't gild the lily. It doesn't have to. The the facts by themselves are devastating. I can't say with 100% certainty that Steve Schmidt is lying through his flapping lips right now. I can only say with about 99% certainty because his his denial is sweeping and unequivocal. No wiggle room, right? Quote, there is no human being, no person involved in the Lincoln Project who made any type of allegation of any type of inappropriate communication that would have triggered an HR investigation or the hiring of an outside counsel to conduct such an investigation. There were zero allegations, complaints, media interrogatories directed to the Lincoln Project with any specificity at any time about any misconduct towards any person. Well, According to all the people who spoke to Miranda Green of New York Magazine, that's a lie. Like, and that's a big lie. And that there were many cases of this. And then there are a lot of anecdotes that describe it as basically an open secret. The Rick Wilson and all the other folks there openly talking about it and knowing that they had a ticking time bomb on their hands and trying to figure out how they can keep this whole thing quiet because otherwise that would disrupt the money from coming in. No one who knew about this and who averted their eyes or kept their mouths shut or, or helped cover it up should ever work in politics again. Not just Republican politics, any party politics. This is, you know, this is Weinstein level stuff, right? This is, you know, it's an open secret, but we're not going to talk about it because I, and by the way, the other intriguing thing is the idea that John Weaver, like, it doesn't sound like he was the goose that was laying the golden egg for this group. It was just, you know, that he was part of the gang and lo and behold, they found out, oh, hey, you know what he's been doing the whole time? Um, Steve Schmidt has kind of gone off the home. Like, I remember back when you know, Steve Schmidt insisted Mike Pence was the devil because he had the fly land on him. Um, and he started screaming that Jonah Goldberg was insufficiently opposed to Trump. I'll give you a moment to get back into your chair if you fell over from laughing. You know, <laughs> um, The guys in the Lincoln Project were really bad guys. I, I don't just mean that bad is in terms of I disagree with their viewpoints on the budget or that kind of stuff. Um, I'm a Trump critic myself, but the way that they behave, the way that they accepted this, the way that they were willing to let this go on and afraid to confront it because it would disrupt money coming in, it would ruin their image. Because remember, they were going against Trump for being a sexual predator. And they said that you know all of these other Republicans were complicit in it because they weren't standing up to it. And then they themselves were doing the exact same thing to one of their colleagues. This should end the Lincoln Project. They are a giant, it's not just like hypocrisy doesn't do it justice. Politics is going to have a lot of, look, politics is about power. Politics attracts people who are generally pretty rotten, right? They they, they have a hunger for power. I don't care about how they get it. Politics is full of dishonest and cynical hacks. What makes the Lincoln Project guys really stand out 
is that they're just as shamelessly dishonest as cynical as anybody, but somehow they managed to convince a whole bunch of progressive donors that they were the honest ones and that they were the idealistic ones and they were the ones who were standing for principle and standing for something better when exactly the opposite was the case, Greg. It's an excellently said. And it's interesting that you mentioned how Schmidt is responding to this and both he and Wilson at first, and even Conway were like, John Weaver, yeah, he's a co-founder, but I mean, a couple phone calls here and there, never really knew the guy. <laughs> I barely know the guy. I, yeah. <laughs> and then another one, uh, Mike Madrid was on that 60 Minutes uh, set with uh, like four or five of them talking to, I think it was Steve Croft. And uh, he apparently got a heads up months ago about John Weaver. And so when that came out, Schmidt's like, you know, Madrid, he was, uh, he wasn't a big player. A lot of, you know, the decisions didn't run through him. So by the time this is all over, Jim, I just assume that none of these guys will ever admit to having known any of the others. Weaver, never heard of him. We are living in difficult times where people fear having thought-provoking conversations about pressing issues. And although we're in the midst of an information explosion, there are a lot of forces aiming to distort what's true. I created The Bill Walton Show to provide a forum for in-depth, thought-provoking conversations with leaders, artists, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. Please join me at thebillwaltonshow.com to explore what's true, what's right, and what's next. All right, let's talk about our final good martini now. And it's weird that these are all good martinis because the underlying stories are all so horrible. But uh, at least at least it's coming to light that there is still hope that uh, horrible, horrible things from lefties are going to come to light. And the latest is uh, California. You talk about this in the jolt today. Even Ezra Klein realizing that despite California pursuing every hardcore liberal idea under the sun, having Democrats in every statewide office, having super massive Democratic majorities in both chambers of the state legislature, things are not going well. Here's how you sum it up. Klein cannot ignore that the results suck. The wealthy opt out of underperforming and currently closed public schools. The state has the highest poverty rate in the nation once you adjust for cost of living as well as the highest income inequality. Klein tries to pin the problem on hypocrisy and the operational conservatism of some self-described progressive voters, meaning that they vote left but then uh, get squeamish uh, when they uh, see that a liberal policy is going to negatively affect their lives and they oppose the policy. So, Jim, if they just embrace something that was going to make their life worse, then and we'd really get the utopia. So uh, it's interesting to watch the lefties try to figure out how they can blame this on Republicans, but they just can't. To paraphrase the old Will Rogers joke, folks on the right in California can say, I'm not a member of any organized party. I'm a Republican. <laughs> uh, they have really small minorities in the state house and the state Senate. They have none of the statewide offices. Uh, I think, you know, the, the biggest city in California, there's a Republican mayor, I think is Fresno. Republicans are just not really a, a functioning entity in the way the California government is run uh, at, at almost any level, other than a few places here and there. And it's been that way for a while. And and it's basically, you know, the last Republican to win statewide was Arnold. Um, so Democrats have been running the show for a long time. And by and large, liberal, very progressive Democrats have been running the show for a very long time. And they've had all the power they could possibly want. And they don't, you know, utopia, not only is utopia not... Uh, come forth that in some ways California can be very dystopian uh, and not just, you know, like the, the, the 
hook that Ezra Klein uses to make this argument is that the schools in California are wasting their time renaming public schools after uh, that were named after Abraham Lincoln, claiming that he's racist and claiming that Paul Revere raided the Indians and that actually wasn't. They don't really know what they're talking about. And oh, by the way, schools in California have been largely been closed since March. So they're, they're wasting their time on this entirely symbolic fight while flunking their basic duty, which is to educate kids. Oh, by the way, all the good wealthy progressives in California are sending their kids to private schools. So they basically have opted out of a dysfunctional public sector. I think what, there's, there's a lot to digest here. And Ezra Klein isn't the first person at the New York Times to kind of make this argument, but I love the subhead because it puts it so stark and, and, and clear. Quote, if progressivism can't work there, why should the country believe it can work anywhere else? Now, folks like you and me, Greg, we have this very obvious answer. It can't, right? <laughs> so they shouldn't. And, and that this is, in fact, the description, not necessarily, by the way, of like the problems of progressivism. Like that, that's a big problem of it. I also think like it is a representation of one party progressivism. And I just want to take you to the Wayback you know, machine back to April 2018. You may recall that Jack Dorsey, who is the co-founder and CEO of Twitter, retweeted this article uh, that was basically arguing that one-party politics in California are terrific. That there's, and you know, the subtitle of this argument was "There's no bipartisan way forward to this juncture in our history. One side must win," and that California represented the not only the preferable, maybe the ideal future of the entire country. That the Republican Party needed to not simply lose a bunch of elections; it needed to stop existing. And that, you know, basically a democratic a political system and a government that was entirely controlled by Democrats could be wonderful and flourishing for the entire country. Well, look at California now. It's not just the natural disasters. They've always had natural disasters. Um, it's not just, you know, a presence of, you know, of poor people and homeless. They've always had poor people and homeless. Situation's getting much worse. Um, I mean, just think of all the advantages that California has geographically that are not easily transferred, right? All the beautiful coastline, all the tourism associated with that. And you can't pack that up and move it somewhere else. Um, Silicon Valley, more and more, you're seeing Austin and the Research Triangle, and you're, you know it's less and less as central to the technology world than it used to be. But that's not going to disappear overnight. Um, you know, all of the you know the, the redwoods, all the natural beauty that shows up in all their tourism commercials. Like think about the the wonderful weather that they have year round most of the time. California's got some spectacular advantages that not every other state's going to be able to equal, and yet somehow they've still managed to botch it this badly. All right now, why has it happened? I'm going to point not just to progressivism, but I'm going to observe. I think one party states tend to be disasters. They're either gradual disasters or maybe they're very fast disasters. And I think beyond my concern is that here in Virginia, we're drifting in that direction. Although I guess we'll see how the governor's race and various state elections go this year. Because if you don't have a, a functioning opposition party and everybody's in one party, sooner or later, your ruling party is going to get fat. It's going to get lazy. It's going to get corrupt. And it's going to start having this mentality of we can do whatever we want because a big majority will vote for us anyway. I am a man of the right. I would very much prefer to have a Republican governor, Republican state legislature, and Republicans at you know every level up and down. But even down in a place like South Carolina, which is a heavily Republican state, you know they've got pork projects, they've got some petty corruption, they've got they've got they because deep down they know. Look, you win a Republican primary, you've got a really good chance of keeping your seat. The voters are not going to toss you out because the Democrat is starting. You know if they're lucky, you know they, they're going to get 40 percent. It's going to be a real tough for them to hit 50%, depending on how district lines are drawn and stuff like that. 
And that that's not good. Give me a 50-50 state. And you know what? Every elected official in that state's going to work really hard because they know there's an excellent chance they're going to lose their seat in the next election if they get corrupt, if they get caught with their hand in the cookie jar. So it's a sad state of affairs. It's not going to change until California gets, uh, you know, recognizes that, okay, you know what we got to do once in a while? You need to elect a Republican. New York City was not in great shape when elected Rudy Giuliani back in 1993. But it was like, you know what? We don't have a choice. We got to try something different. Let's try this. Louisiana, before Bobby Jindal, had not had a Democratic governor in a very long time. It was a very Democratic state. Hard to believe that right now. Like what happens when you elect somebody of the other party is it's a wake up call to the other party, kind of slap some sense into them. And they realize, oh, wait a second, we got to do a much better job because otherwise all these voters we took for granted are going to abandon us. California, you got to try something crazy. You know what? Don't even vote for a Republican. Find an independent. Find somebody who's not part of the progressive blob out there just to be a different voice and just to put a scare into the rest of everybody else to say, hey, if you don't perform well, you too, even you can lose your seats. You usually feel better than I feel right now when we have three good martinis, Jim, because there's a lot of ugliness under all three of these. But uh, learning the truth about all three of these is definitely good news. And hopefully there will be some even better martinis as a result of this down the road. So uh, rest up, have a good weekend, and we'll see you on President's Day. (laughs) See you President's Day, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, don't forget about our friends over at Upstart, upstart.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Also, please get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a fantastic weekend, and we will be back with you Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch.